Hi, welcome to Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. This podcast is a ministry of Christ Covenant Church in Atlanta, where our pastors and members dig deeper into the sermon and its text together. Our goal is to consider new questions and observations while looking at the passage so that we might more practically apply God's word to our life. If you have a question for our pastors, please feel free to engage our text to pastor line at 404-465-1737. Or if you'd like to find more resources from our church like this one, please visit ChristCovenant.com forward slash resources. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our sermon talk back. Well, welcome to the sermon talk back. It is 2023, and you know, new year, new you. Uh, we are bringing the sermon talk back back <laughs> in a new kind of way. Uh, we're going to be regularly releasing these every week, uh, and we have a new format for the talkback. Uh, so it's going to be more of a kind of Q and A uh, approach to the talkback. You can still send in your questions. Uh, and we are happy to engage those in this time. So I'm Will Kynes, and I'm here with Jason Dees, who preached the sermon this Sunday. And, and, Jason, and I just want to say on the uh, questions, I, I think you can you can either email those, you know, just if you want to email me or Will. Are you are you? Well, you're not Will. What what is your Christ Covenant email? I, I'm Will dot at ChristCovenant.com. Okay, and then of course Jason at Christ Covenant, yeah. or you can use the text a pastor line, and so we do want to hear from you. Um, we're gonna we're gonna answer one of your questions today, but uh, as Will mentioned, we're gonna do a little bit of different format, just a little more Q and A, um, and you know we can chop it up a little bit too, Will. So I, I'd I, the folks want to hear from Will Kind, so give the <laughs> folks what they want. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, we're kicking off a new year with a new sermon series. So this Christ Covenant sermon series. Tell us a little bit about this series, Jason, and why you thought that this was the time to do it. Well, I mean, the church has grown. The church, um, we're in a new building now. Uh, So I think a lot of the foundational things and, and just, you know, for a lot of our people, it's been a long time since they've, like, for example, gone through first Sunday. So we have what I mean, I'm pretty proud of it. I think we have a pretty good kind of systematic approach to at least clarifying discipleship rhythms. And those really are our covenant, the things that we ask our people to covenant toward, that you would be in a good discipleship rhythm. People say, what is your discipleship program in your church? And I would just say it's membership. And and the membership covenants you make are the kinds of, I would say, commitments that we would want any disciple of the Lord to have as a regular part of their life, corporate worship, personal devotion, being in relational discipleship, sharing your faith, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so I just saw it. And I think really our elder body, I mean, everybody thought this would be a great time in the life of our church to just kind of re up. Another thing that this does do will, um, you know, I think it's a great time to re up thing, but it, but it also kind of puts on record these sermons that I, I think actually will get, a lot of use from in years to come, you know, what is corporate worship? Why is that so important to your church? What is family worship, for example? Why is that so important to your church? So we're creating a record that I think will be helpful for us for years to come. And I think just in this current moment with all the new folks and um, and just the fact that we haven't really done this in a while, uh, I think it's an important thing to do. 
Yeah. And we're starting with worship. So yesterday you preached on worship. Why start with worship? To me, corporate worship, I mean, so if you, you there, the, the, the rhythms don't necessarily go in order, but they kind of go in order, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, one of the most fundamental responses to the gospel the church does is gather to worship, to sit underneath preaching of God's word, to express their gratefulness and appreciation of what God has done for us, to pray together, to stir one another along. I think as we worship together, we do that. And then, of course, that relates to our worship in our own homes, our personal devotion time. That's related to who we are as a collective body and our relationships and how we give and how we serve. Um, And uh, it's related to how we scatter and evangelism and how we seek to be a blessing to our city and obviously seek to reach the whole world eventually, ultimately, through mission sending and through church planting. And so to me, there is a bit of an order about how the wheel kind of works itself out in the Christian life. The, the analogy that I've always given, Will, is if if I had led somebody to faith and I was trying to explain to them, hey, how do you grow as a disciple? I mean, probably one of the first things I would do is bring them to church with me. One of the second things I would do is, now I may not encourage them toward family discipleship. So I mean, some of them are a little out of place, but like one of the second things I would do is like try to teach them how to pray and read their Bible by themselves. I would invite them to a community group. I'd talk to them about the importance of generosity. I'd talk to them about the importance of being in community, about how to share their faith, etc. So there is a bit of a, this is kind of how this would be done if I was just one-on-one disciple-making with a new believer. Yeah, I mean, there's a sense in which everything else that you do as a Christian flows out of worship and then flows that's back right. into worship. So I like that it's a wheel, right? Because it and the wheel yeah, rolls right. and gets going and gets momentum. And that's what you see in your Christian life as you exactly work right. through these disciplines. Yeah. Now, worship is one of these words that we throw around a lot uh, in Christian circles. But what does it actually mean? Like, what do, like if you were to summarize briefly what worship is, what would you say? Yeah, in, in a sense, worship is a response to what you find worthy. You know, um, you know the old English worth-ship, like what you're ascribing worth to, what you're saying, this is worthy, this is good, this is glorious. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, has this quote, and I, I, I don't have it particularly memorized, but basically he says the praise of something completes the enjoyment of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I don't know. I mean, I don't know about you, but, um, and I know, well, I do know about you. I mean, I know you love to delight in Vanessa. and But for me, like, I almost compliment Paige too much. Like, she, she's always like, it's I mean, Jason, possible. you know, ease up, <laughs> ease up. But I, but, but it's, it's part of my enjoyment of her. It's part of my, I, I'm enjoying Paige. And so I'll say, gosh, you're so pretty. Gosh, you're so great. Gosh. And, and to the point where she'll get embarrassed by it. Cause I'll say it like in front, I'll be like, gosh, isn't she great? You know? And she's like, I don't know what to do here. Uh, and so, but anyway, and, and, and so some of that is, I guess, you know, an act of love toward her, but, but some of that actually is my own enjoyment of her. It's, it's, it's completing my enjoyment of my wife. And so I think in the same way, like our worship to God, yes, it's pleasing to God. We want to offer these acts of 
worship as a offering to the Lord. But there's this other point of it. It it actually shows our delight of God. Um, mm. And so and so uh, I know that you know we're going to talk about like how it's not just God we worship. I mean, people are worshiping all sorts of things. It's it's part of it. it I think that it's part of that. Which we're we're delighting in. We're orienting. We're we're ascribing worth to something that we're orienting. You know, our lives, our time, our energy, our words toward. Yeah, and to that point about how people are always worshiping, there's this great quote from David Foster Wallace, which I've heard you bring into this discussion in the past, and it goes like this. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. Worship power and you'll feel weak and afraid. Worship your intellect and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. Look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, it's that they are unconscious. They are default settings. So Wallace, he didn't didn't claim to be a Christian, but did he get something right here about the nature of worship? Well, I think he, I think what Wallace get, the beauty of the whole this is water commencement speech, which is what you're quoting from. Wallace has this uncanny understanding of what I would call, I've called this the, the wrong default setting of human beings. Mm. And so, Mm -hmm. I mean, he starts the whole speech of there's two fish and, you know, the old fish swims by and he says, water's nice today or something. And the other two fish says, you know, what is water? Right. And, um, I, I, I've often said, so, in the garden, I mean, now we're getting into, I'm getting a little off track here, Will, but I can't help myself. But I've said this before, I've said this before in a sermon, and, and I do think it's it's been super helpful for me, this idea. In the garden before sin, I believe that humanity, man and woman, Adam and Eve, were more aware of God, were more delighting in God, they're, they're more you know cognizant of God than they were themselves. And to me, the clue is that they didn't even know that they were naked, right? I mean, you have to be pretty unself-aware to be naked and not realize it, right? But they were just so in awe of God, they, they didn't take time to kind of recognize themselves. And so I think the whole who told you that you were naked is this all of a sudden they had this self-recognition that was out of order, right? And that's really what sin is. It's a self-recognition that's out of order. We do have some recognition of ourselves, but we were made for God. We were made to delight in God, to worship God, to bring glory to God, to praise God. And so we're most fulfilled and we find most delight when, when our worship is external. And actually, when David Foster Wallace, you know, he says worship money, you know, worship intellect, you know, worship power. But but he, he, what he's really saying there, he doesn't say it this way, but what he's really saying is worship your power, worship mm-hmm. your money, worship your intellect. And then we realize when we start to do that, oh yeah, I'm not God. 
And I can never have enough power to truly make me feel secure. I can never have enough intellect to really make me feel smart because it's it, we're all just recognizing that we're actually not divine. We're actually recognizing that the that the purpose of our lives was to worship something, someone externally beyond ourselves. And that's actually where rest is found and that's where delight is found. The trick is obviously is knowing that the thing that you're worshiping is the thing or person worthy of that's truly worthy of worship and that is the amazing thing about you know the the christian message i mean that's the amazing thing about the gospel is that god himself has pursued us and is inviting us into the worship of himself and we can worship him without being terrified to death even though we're sinners because christ has atoned for our sin because christ has made peace between us and the father and that really is what the invitation to worship is and so then in that regard, I know I'm answering this question in a long way, what worship becomes is our kind of external energy, our external response to the wonder and glory and majesty of God. Now, that manifests itself in a lot of different ways, and one of those is the expressive way, uh, or the corporate expressive way, I would say, that we have on Sunday morning. But that's just a manifestation of worship. It's a very important manifestation of worship, but it's it's a corporate worship service. It's a corporate gathering of the saints to worship, to express our collective devotion to God. Hopefully that's clarifying. Yeah, no, that is. And I want to come back to the worship service in just a second. But another thing that, as you were speaking, reminded me of your sermon uh, is, you know, Wallace talks about how worship anything else and it will enslave you. It'll crush you. But the worship of God, as you were talking about yesterday, it frees you. Right. Is it, right? I mean, play that out a little bit for us. Remind us what you were talking about yesterday. With well, that. yeah, I mean, it's, uh, we were. this was kind of in the l- very long intro that was only supposed to be 10 <laughs> minutes, but I think it was like more like 15. But I, 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 I talk about this passage in 2 Corinthians where Paul is, he's instructing the people about spiritual growth, okay? And, and he, he talks about, he, he's referencing the veil. I mean, we, we've, we've talked a lot about veils. Uh, and he, he's referencing how we can actually behold God. We can see God for all of his glory and worth without a veil in Christ, through faith, by faith in Christ. And when we see God, we're changed by God. And and, and one of the things he says there is that, you know, he, t- he begins talking about the spirit of God and the spirit of God that dwells within us and, and ultimately leads us to freedom. So the more that we see God, behold God, live out the spirit-filled life, communion with God, the more free we are. Well, to your point, what is that? It, it kind of seems a little counterintuitive um, because it's like, wait a second, the more I focus on God, the more free I am, right? Uh, well, how does that work? It should be the more I focus on myself, the more free I am. The more God focuses on me, the more free I am. Mm-hmm. But I think this proves the point I was trying to make earlier. We, that would work if you were God. You know, if you were God, then yes, your desire would always be right. But it doesn't work because you're not God. And, 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 and where actual freedom is found is when you don't focus on yourself, but when you focus on the actual true God that's ordered the whole universe, that's when you come into the order of things that is right and good and beautiful and perfect 
And when you come into that kind of order of things, then you're actually free because you're living out the designed order, the created order. You're, 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 I mean, I love the definition of freedom. You're free when you do what you want to do and when what you want to do is what you ought to do. When you come into the order of God, your want to and your ought to line up. Mm-hmm. And that is freedom. And the spirit of God does that. Th- that is That is the ultimate hope of worship. Yeah, and you pointed out, as Corinthians does there, that that comes through beholding the Lord. And there are a lot of ways that we can behold the Lord, but the worship services that we have is one of the most powerful ways that we get this opportunity to be drawn into beholding the Lord. Uh, let's and talk really, about that a little bit. Well, yeah, what I was trying ahead. to say is all of these rhythms, I mean, there's more ways than just our nine rhythms to behold the Lord. Okay, I want to be very yes, clear. Yes, right. And so it, it, it's it's not like, but these are nine very, I don't say, I was going to use the word typical, common, regular, I don't know, maybe you can help me here, but like normative Christian rhythms yeah. of beholding the Lord. And so, um, and so corporate worship obviously is one, I mean, personal devotion, we're going to take time to be in scripture, to pray, uh, family worship, I mean, even service, I mean, personally, I feel like I worship maybe even the most. I mean, maybe, I mean, even more than a corporate worship service when I'm serving, when I'm using the gifts mm. that the Lord has given me to try to help someone. Uh, you know, I just, a lot of times I'll even have like a counseling session. And have you ever experienced this? I mean, your Will is like the greatest teacher ever. Have you ever like taught and you really feel like you were teaching for the Lord and helping people see the beauty of God and you like leave that and your affection for the Lord is stirred. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 I mean, that, so, true. so to, so to me, serving God is actually when I'm serving him in my giftedness and when I'm serving him like with a pure heart, it's actually like one of the most wonderful times of worship for me or engaging in the global mission of God. Um, and even generosity. I mean, you know, generosity is one too, where, you know, the, the old, where your treasure is, your heart will be also like, you know, being sacrificial and giving to the Lord and, and being hopeful and, and how you give to him. I mean, so actually all of these things are, I used the word yesterday, environments or settings or avenues where we can behold God, be drawn to him and be changed by his glory from one degree of glory to the next. Yeah. So uh, one thing that I wanted to make sure that people were aware of is these uh, field guides that we have up on the website. So you can go to resources there. And we have field gu- field guides that correspond to all of these rhythms. Uh, and so I was looking at the one on corporate worship. And one of the things that I found helpful in it is it talks a little bit about how to prepare yourself for coming into the corporate worship context. Uh, why is that so important that you don't just show up, but you actually take some time to prepare beforehand? Yeah, and, and really the answer is is you're not a consumer. I mean, a, a corporate worship service becomes, I mean, if I showed up to the worship service unprepared, what would you think? Right. You know, you'd be disappointed. <laughs> you'd be like, yeah. He should have thought he should have he should have thought of something. And 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 I'm and I'm obviously I don't think we're suggesting that like you would prepare the for the corporate worship service the same way I would, but but if you see yourself not just as a consumer of corporate worship, but as a participant mm. 
in the worship, then all of a sudden the whole church is served by that and the whole church gets richer because of that. And so, you know, that's, I think, what we're saying. Now, I mean, there, there's one person that I say doesn't have to prepare that I don't mind if they're a consumer, and that's the unbelieving person. You know, I do think that, you know, in one sense, we worship for God's sake, right? We, we're, we want God to be pleased by our worship. We worship for ourselves, right? We're, we're reminding ourselves of these things that we believe. We're worshiping for the people around us, right? So there's an upward look, there's an inward look, there's a you know left and a right look. We're, we're understanding, okay, I'm among these people, but we're also worshiping, you know, to the watching world is is the way I, I've heard it said, and I like to say it. Like, and so I even kind of made a little quick mention of this yesterday. Like, if you're not a believer, you know. It, it, I don't know if you're listening to the sermon talk back if you're not a believer, but going to a Christian worship service is a good thing to do um, because you're, you're seeing the worshiping church. And so that's actually the one person that I would say, you don't need to prepare, just yeah. come and watch. But the Christian, I would say, you're coming not just as a observer, you're coming as a participant. You you are coming to worship God too. And, and anything that you're going to participate in, be it a, you know, basketball game or be it a you know presentation you're giving at work or you know be it uh, a dinner that you're preparing for your family or whatever you there's preparation involved that mm-hmm. you are invited to, into to, to really participate yeah um, I mean that's really helpful and there's some helpful tips there in terms of things that you might think about doing as you prepare for worship read the sermon passage ahead of time. Uh, listen to songs that are might be sung at the church service. Give yourself time to get to church uh, so that you're not rushing in. Bring a Bible and a notebook, put away your phone, and then take some time when you get there to quiet your heart, to recognize what you are about to participate yeah. in is something serious. This is an opportunity to meet with the Lord along with his people. I want to say yeah. a quick word on that too. And, and I certainly love, you know, you know me, you know, I love a party. I love like the scene in the lounge before the uh, worship service. I love the gathering of the saints. But, you know, there is something about, one of the reasons I'm grateful that we have a worshiping space now where there's like a separate room. Like you can mm. you can go into mm-hmm. the, you know, we call it the auditorium. It used to be called the sanctuary. But like that idea of sanctuary even, it's this idea of, okay, I'm in a sacred place. And so, yeah, I would just say, I mean, for some of you, yeah, I mean, I understand you're talking with friends. I mean, I, again, I think there's a great benefit to that pre-service time. But I would just say, you know, there's also a great benefit to going into the worship area a little early, stilling your heart, focusing on the Lord, getting ready for the worship service in that way. Yeah. Now, the sermon yesterday, it wasn't just some thoughts from Jason D's on worship, right? This was <laughs> built out of God's Word. And you picked a particular passage to help us understand the nature of worship, Acts 2, 36 to 47. Now, worship's everywhere in the Bible. So why'd you pick this particular passage? Well, you know, that's a good question. I mean, we've looked at some other passages on worship before. Um, I, 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 there's a couple of things that I really like about the passage. Um, uh, and so, they are, I mean, I th- first of all, I, th- I, th- I thought it would be a good place to begin 
this series. We've we've kind of yeah. talked about some of the other classic New Testament worshipy passages in the past. Um, but the the points, and we talked about this in our teaching meeting, and I don't know if I was like critiqued on it or what, but the points of the passage that I think are interesting, at least to me, whether or not it was the wisest place to spend my time, was the how. And so this is this like reaction to conversion, right? Which I I kind of love that. Like these people are hearing the gospel, they're being changed, and there's immediate like response and this togetherness and this nature of we want to hear from the apostles' teaching. And so I just think it's a great, it's a great example of like conversion leads to like true conversion leads to true worship. And then the other thing that I think is interesting is the the diversity. You know, you, you have all of these people that are saved at Pentecost, and yet, you know, there's three thousand. I mean, that's another thing too that it's really interesting to think about. And you know, we've obviously been talking about that at our church, and you know, people have I mean, I hate to say critiqued the church growth, but they're like, ah, you know, our church is growing. Are we letting me too many people in? You know, which I I get the sentiment of those things. And like, there was a time when our church was 120, like these, this was, it was awesome. And I loved it. And it was sweet. And everybody knew it, you know, one another. And obviously we want to, you know, we want to keep growing as a church. We want to be a part of church planning. I mean, we want to do, we want to be a part of kingdom growth. But the, the point is, is like the very first church, like there was some messiness to it. I mean, you, you, you know, to, to figure, to organize 3000 people, uh, very quickly is hard. And yet still, even though it wasn't, you know, and, and a lot of times, even as a leader pastor, I feel like, okay, we, yes, we could have done that better. We could have cared for our people better there, but like, you know, the church has always been a little sloppy. I mean, you know, you know, it, it, to, to get 3000 people organized in a, in a Godward way is, is very yeah. difficult to do. Um, but they, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, I mean, act six, you know, it does get around to kind of some of the messiness of it and how, you know, there, there, it needs to be some organizational procedure in place, but you know, there, there was just this joy of what the Lord was doing in their lives. And, and there was this unity of spirit and of faith. And, um, that's just, a, yeah, I just think it's a beautiful passage, obviously. Yeah. And you, you just mentioned the unity, but also the diversity that right. was a part of this early church. And I mean, it made me think about, uh, and I think we might've got a question about this actually, about you, you mentioned tribalism in the sermon. Uh, how does this passage in the picture that it paints of the early church, how might that help us think through this big issue of tribalism that's going around in our culture? I think it was a really good uh, question. And actually, if you've been listening to Our Daily Rhythm over the last couple of days, uh, uh, Will and Jennifer have been reading through 1 Corinthians and the whole, like, I am of Apollos and I am of Paul. Mm. Um, so there's, like, Christian tribalism, and then there's, like, broader secular tribalism. The question in particular was, like, how does the church basically help people to unwind its tribalistic ways. I mean, which I think is like actually a really good question. Um, And, and they were basically saying like, does the church need, you know, a department to do that or something, you know, like a minister of unity or whatever. And and I would just say, well, no, like, no, because, you know, the church is, you know, everybody's a minister of unity. Like, like, you know, in a sense that we are all 
um, one of the responses, like we don't need a minister of righteousness, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, righteousness is just a response to the Lord. And, and I actually think like even that kind of thinking, and I'm not critiquing the person that asked it, but like, I'm just saying that kind of thinking, I think is <laughs> very much like, it's probably one of the things that's led to this tribalism. It's like, oh, we have a problem. Like let's, uh, let's create a program or let's start something toward it. Uh, but I do think, I mean, in the spirit of the question, I do think was good is, is I do think we have to help people understand their, if you will, tribal instincts in this age. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just part of, that's something that's been discipled into us. And so it, it even comes off in the church, you know? And so again, I mean, even in the church world, I mean, you and I know this well, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, uh, can you, can you learn from, you know, John MacArthur and Russell Moore? I mean, you know, it's like, it's like, well, the answer is like, yes, you know, those are both right. brothers in the faith. Like they both are awesome, but like we, you know, they obviously are in, you know, they're speaking toward different things. They're, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? They're, uh, you know, addressing, they're, they're different audiences. yeah, they're addressing yeah. different things and they're, and they're, uh, emphasizing is word. they're emphasizing different, you know, aspects of the Christian life. And so, um, but I think the natural response to people is like, okay, let's put him over here and him over here and I am of him and I am of them. And so that tribalism is everywhere. Um, and again, I mean, obviously like we want to be biblical, we want to be faithful to the Lord in all things, but I don't think that our first response should be separation i think our first response should be unity and i think if you read if you read certainly paul paul is very concerned with the unity of the church and it's not that we never need to divide and it's not that we don't need to correct and paul's also concerned with correction but um but but we i do think we are in this age generally and in the church that is hyper corrective uh before it is celebrative and so it's like yeah. eh, i can't really celebrate what god might be doing over there because they have this issue and i think a little bit where you know i don't know if we're like missing the log in our own eye or if we're, we're like so focused on the speck that we're not seeing the bigger beautiful thing that may be happening yeah i mean it's almost related to what you were talking about earlier with um being so enamored in the Lord that we don't see ourselves. But what's happening here is the focusing on the other to such a degree and their faults that we don't see our ourselves and our own faults. That's right. Uh, And you gave the illustration of when you're traveling and you're with people who are completely different than you in every other way, except that they were unified in that they worship Jesus as well. Uh, and so that kind of focus on instead focusing on worship, that can actually bring people together across all of these different that's right. divisions. Uh, and, and so th- that's a great opportunity that we have to, I think, combat what the, you know, the person who asked this question is recognizing, which is this is a big problem uh, in our culture right now, this, this and I do think polarization. Christian, and I do think Christian worship just has this way of doing that. I mean. If you're worshiping Jesus together, you know, this guy may be the opposite aisle of the, you know, political aisle. He may be the opposite aisle of the, you know, soteriology debates aisle. But like, if you're like, man, we are worshiping Jesus together. We're recognizing him as our Lord. 
there's this unity in that that is incredibly powerful. Um, yeah. And I think that I think a lot of those debates come from people that don't really worship that much. I mean, you know, I think I think a lot of that flows out of like a lack of worship. And so, yeah. Um, so anyway. Yeah. Uh, now, some people might have a different question listening to the sermon, which is a slightly more technical one. So you distinguish between prescriptive texts and descriptive texts. And you said this text here, this narrative in Acts, it's not prescriptive. It's describing something that happened in the early church. It doesn't mean that we have to order our churches exactly the same way. Now, someone might have heard that and said, well, that's a great distinction. That's helpful. Uh, but how do I make it? So when I'm reading the Bible, how do I know which texts are descriptive and which are prescriptive? What kind of advice would you give there? Yeah, that's a great question. I'd like I'd like to to ask you the same question. Um I think it gets I think it gets a little trickier um where you know you get into like things like head coverings or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So that it's 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 like something that might even be said in a uh prescriptive way, but it's prescriptive in a contextual way. And then it yeah. gets a little dicey because it's like, well, does that apply to is the contextual way that should apply to everything that we read in scripture. And so um, I I do think, I mean, I'll be the first to tell you, I think this can get, uh, it it can, it can get a little dicey as you get further and further into Bible study. But I mean, simply will, I mean, we're talking about is, is this something that the Bible is commanding? Is it is, is it a, you know, imperative statement? Or is it an indicative statement? I mean, is it, is it something that the Bible is telling you to do, or is it is it telling something that that occurred? Is it is it giving the account of something? Now, again, and I want to be very clear: it's not that we ignore the descriptive texts. Um, and so, for example, I mean, I think the this text, like they they were devoted to the. Uh, the apostles' teaching, the, the teaching of the apostles, the teaching of uh, the church, the teaching of God's word is very, very important. We should be so. There is a, there in a sense is a prescriptive principle that I can draw from the descriptive text. I think we have to be careful is when we start making the descriptions of things in the text. For example, you know they were meeting in homes, prescriptive and. Yeah. The that's limiting in a sense. We always have to meet in homes. Well, no, that's not that, that's not the, that's not what the text is telling us. It's it's describing how they worshipped, and so that would be a start. I don't know. You have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it is. I think there's a basic idea that you explained pretty clearly there, which is when the text is commanding you to do something, when it's prescribing, then it's a prescriptive text, and when it's describing things, then it's descriptive. But even within descriptive texts, there may be elements of prescription for us, like we should act in a certain way. And then even in prescriptive texts, we do need to make sure that we're carefully describing the situation that the text is addressing. And so it does get more nuanced, and that's where it's helpful uh, to talk to other Christians and see how they're interpreting right. things, talk to your pastors, look at commentaries and those kinds of issues. Uh, so there's a kind of simple, and I think we can go a long way with just that simple distinction, uh, but as often with Scripture, there's a deeper um, di- discussion to be had about how all these texts apply to us. This is one of the reasons why we have sermons on Sunday mornings, right? <laughs> to help right. us understand how to apply and, these texts to our lives. 
And the other like very, very simple thing I would say is like, look for patterns. Right. And so, mm. um, you know, okay. There does seem to be, <clears throat> you know, a pattern of Bible proclamation of evangelism, right? Um, the great commission, for example, as I mentioned, is a prescriptive text, but then I see that going forward throughout the rest of the new Testament, <clears throat> there's going to be other things that, you know, it's just like, wait a second. I, I, you know, this is a little more obscure. It's not as clear. And so look for pattern, look for repetition. Um, and I think that'll help you in your Bible study. Yeah. So uh, another thing that you said in the sermon is that the higher the object, the greater your expression of appreciation is, right? To help us think about the nature of worship. So God being the highest possible thing, our appreciation should correspond to that. Uh, and I wonder if you could flip that around as a kind of diagnostic tool for our hearts. Like, the greater your expression of appreciation for something, does that actually indicate that you believe that thing to be higher. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I think, I mean, I think this is kind of the David Foster Wallace saying, I mean, you know, the, uh, you know, I think, I think that's a great, I think one of the things that you're getting at here is what does your heart delight in? What does your, what do you love? Mm-hmm. Right. And I think your the loves or the affections of the heart, are often tested or often displayed in what we show energy toward, right? I mean, um, now, I mean, there's different manifestations of that. So somebody could go crazy in a worship service and jump around and scream and holler and then go out that day and, you know, go sin in a major way, right? And so the, it, this is not saying that that the deep affection of it necessarily like manifests itself in some sort of like physical worshipful thing. I mean, the, the, I mean, this is, this is the old, you know, this is the whole, I desire obedience and not sacrifice. Like what does it really matter? Um, you know, what you do in a worship service if you won't obey the Lord. And so, but because my appreciation and love for God is so much, um, I'm going to obey. There, there's this 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 gratitude that explodes for the Lord. Now, I want to be careful in that. In that, you know, this was the, the this was we were talking about. What was somebody said? You yeah. should nuance this. This was this was the thing that yes. Graham was telling us to nuance. Like, I want to be careful in that because, like, yeah, I mean, I don't always feel. Um, what if I don't desire God? Right? I mean, what, I don't always feel like, man, I am like so juiced up to worship today. Yet I know that God is worthy of my worship still. And so um, I do think that, I do think the higher the object, the greater your expression of appreciation is, but that is not always, I mean, I think this is it. That is not always a heart thing. I mean, sometimes it it is a head thing. It, sometimes it is like, I know this to be true. The analogy that's coming to my mind is this. We good? Yep. You pause on me for a second. Okay, okay. The analogy that's coming to my mind is this. Uh, when we sold our house in Birmingham and moved here to Atlanta, we we sold our house and we closed on it in Birmingham like a few weeks before um, we bought our house in Atlanta, okay? And, and you know me, Will, so you can, I feel like you can understand this analogy. And so I won't say how much, but there was this, big amount of cash that was sitting in my bank account 
from the sale of my house. Uh, now I needed that cash to buy the house in Atlanta, but there was like a little bit of discipline that required for me, uh, you know, because I'm like, man, how much fun could I have with all of this money, you know? And so now what I forfeited was buying a house in Atlanta. And, and so, you know, I, I, I remember having the thought like, man, I could get like 12 of my friends and we could like go on this amazing European vacation together and like do all this stuff. And it would have been, I would have called you and Vanessa. I mean, it would have been awesome, you know? And, um, and I would have just blown, you know, all these tens of thousands of dollars or whatever on this, uh, on this trip. But, but then I wouldn't have been able to, uh, buy the house. So the point, the point I'm trying to make here is my heart in that moment, like might've been a little more excited about the extravagant European vacation than the responsible (laughs) buying the house. And so my head had to like kick in and say, hold on. The greater object is to have a home that will provide a place to live for you and for your family long-term, even though there wasn't like tons of excitement. I mean, I was excited to buy a house, but there wasn't like tons of excitement around it in that moment. So that's my illustration of, I think what we're talking about here. I was still recognizing the greater object and I was moving energy toward that, but the greater object was not as exciting as the lesser object. And I think a lot of times our Christian life is like that, you know, sitting down and reading your Bible for 15 minutes, maybe the greater object that your heart should go for, but that's gotta be more of a mental thing than, you know, I'd rather just like sit here and watch sports center. Um, right. even though that's a total waste of time, not a total. Yeah. Waste of time, I mean, sports yeah. centers of some value will, but godliness is a value <laughs> of greater value. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of Matthew six twenty one, where Jesus says for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also the fact that the right. heart follows, right? The treasure goes first and the heart follows it. So when your heart's not there, start putting your treasure in. in that's right. And that treasure. I think about that all the time. time. Right. Right, the the time that you spend in God's word, just start there, and then the heart will follow eventually. So good, uh, yeah. Uh, well, one final question for you, and, and this was from um, one of my favorite parts of the sermon, and not just because I appreciate a good meat sauce, uh, but it was what you were talking about at the end in terms of how in worship we're borrowing from our future, uh, we're bringing the new world into our world now. And you gave this illustration of your buddy's meat sauce recipe that was from the old world that he brought into the new world. And I thought it might be helpful if you just kind of played that out practically. So what does it look like practically to bring that new world back into the old world that we're living in now as we worship? I think one of the great questions, I mean, you know, Edward said we should think about heaven like 30 minutes a day. I, I think one of the great questions that we should think about more than we probably do, at least I should, is what is my life going to be like under the full reign of Christ? When when the reign of Christ is fully manifest and Jesus has made all things new, what is my life going to be like? And let, let that inform my life now. And so I think that will radically impact the way that you spend your money. I think that'll radically impact the, the people that you spend time with. I'll, I'll speak to that. Like there, there, there are people that, you know, I feel like compelled by the Lord to go and spend time with, even though 
like earthly speaking, they're not like my favorite people in the world. Earthly speaking, I don't really get like a great benefit from them. But I know that there are people that the Lord loves. I know that there are people that God is going to make new someday. Um, and so my love for them now, um, you know, my love for them now is actually informed by who I know they are going to be in the future, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so, but that, but I have to kind of, I have to do that. You know, I, I can't like, I'm very present. I'm, you know, I'm very much, I mean, we all are right. We're in this, we're living in this age. And so I, I have to like go there in a sense in worship. I have to like kind of meet the Lord there. And then that informs how I actually act in the present moment. Um, and the same thing I think with even worship service, right? I mean, a worship service, like in a sense, I'm, 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 reminding myself that Christ is going to reign. And, and if I am confident in that and believe that, then then I'll sing and I'll pray and I'll delight in the Lord rather than the temporal things of this earth. I'll, 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 I'll seek to serve one another. So, I mean, practically, a lot of it is just faith. I mean, the practicality of it is believing that Christ reigns and that he's going to return and that we're going to be with him. And uh, and 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 a worship being around other people that believe those things helps me to believe that more. And that's that's I think one of the great beauties of corporate worship is like okay, okay, I'm not crazy. <laughs> All these people believe this thing, and they are worshiping Jesus too. I mean, I was looking at the worship service yesterday, and uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give him a shout out, Thomas Collier, who's like I mean, it's hard to miss. It's like six nine or something. And I was just watching him worship the Lord, and we were singing that um, "Behold Him" song, and and just watching him worship Jesus so like strengthened my faith. I was like, "Here's a brother that is longing to behold the Lord," and and it made me want to behold the Lord more. And so, and so anyway, I think all of this is an act of faith, right? We're, we're looking to the future, but. The, the the mental, if you will, activity of imagining the world or trying to understand the world as it will be when Jesus reigns in really informs, like I said, who I spend my time with, how I spend my money, how I worship, how I long to read the Bible. Um, in one sense, I want to read the Bible so I'll know God more in preparation. I mean, it's like, um, I mean, you're a guy that prepares to teach. One of the things that drives your teaching, I know, and maybe you've never had this because you're a very prepared person, but there have been moments in my life where I've gotten up there to teach or I've been asked a question that I don't really know the answer to. And do you get, you ever get the little sweat like right here, you know, like the little beads of sweat, they start to form and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not prepared right now. I look like a total idiot. I don't, um, I don't know the answer to this question or whatever it is. Like that feeling actually drives my, I want to be ready, you know? And, and and so like, if I really believe I'm going to be with the Lord someday, like I want to know God. I want him to know that I've delighted in his word. I want him to know that I've obeyed him. I you know? And so anyway, I, yeah, I don't know if I'm, I'm being helpful at all, but it, it, it's understanding that we will be with Jesus someday, that we will be with God someday, that, we'll, that, that our ultimate life is in his kingdom. That actually is the thing that informs everything that we do in this age. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean that we need to be afraid that we won't be prepared. We won't know all the answers when we get there. That's right. Yeah. You, I want to nuance yeah. this. Yeah. I mean, ultimately my justification is in Christ, but, but, but because I love, because I love 
Jesus, I want him to be pleased with the life that he's given me to live. Yeah. Great. Well, Jason, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through the sermon, uh, sermon talkbacks. They're back in. This has been great. All right. Yeah. (laughs) We'll see you. We'll see you uh, next week. We'll see you next week. See you next week. And if you've got questions, email me at will.kinds at christcovenant.com or jason at jason at christcovenant.com or text the text to pastor line. What's the number for that, Jason? Uh, okay. I see. This is the don't beads have it of memorized. sweater. I think it's 404-465-1737. Again, that's 404-465-1737. Uh, we hope that some random person in Atlanta doesn't just get a whole bunch of questions. <laughs> I think that's it. Great. I think that's it. Great. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Once again, thank you for listening to the Sermon Talkback podcast. If you have any other questions after listening, or if there's anything else you'd like to discuss with one of our pastors, please don't hesitate to engage our text to pastor line at 404 465 1737. And once again, if you'd like to find more resources from our church like this one, please visit ChristCovenant.com forward slash resources. Thank you and have a blessed week.